Can you start any project without working out how much it will cost you? Welcome to the Conquer Your Mountains Week 4 podcast titled Counting the Cost, where we will explore how you can get better at understanding the true cost of what you aspire to achieve. Today's episode is all about understanding upfront the real sacrifice you must be prepared to make for your plans to succeed. If you are following the Conquer Your Mountains reading plan, you are in week four, that is the exciting name of numbers. Based on a story about counting the number of soldiers available for military service. In other words, do you have faith that you have the right numbers to win your battle? I'm excited to once again have Jonathan Miller joining me today, backed by popular demand. Jonathan is a chartered accountant, and over the past 20 years, he has held various senior leadership positions, such as head of finance. Currently, and for the last 10 years, he is a private wealth manager of a boutique investment company that provides investment, cash and risk planning, retirement and tax planning, as well as estate and trustee services. As a seasoned investor, Jonathan is certainly skilled at counting the cost and is therefore the perfect guest for our episode today, where we'll be discussing how to prepare for the true cost of any venture. We'll be exploring questions like the biases that block us from counting the cost and the non-financial costs that we often ignore, which can be even more expensive than money. So on that note, welcome, Jonathan Miller. Thank you, Dr. Mandler. It's lovely to be back with you again. Uh, yeah, thank you for the invite. Really appreciate it. Fantastic. Let's dive in. Uh, Jonathan, when you start a project, whether personally or in business, you could have a certain bias that prevents you from counting the true cost. Why is this? And what are the emotions that interfere with our counting processes? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's lots of reasons, Mandla. <laughs> uh, I do remember when I, I worked technology company, uh, it was kind of really exciting and there were new there were new things popping up every day uh, and we were sort of getting very excited by things that were happening around us. And so we'd build these spreadsheets of kind of what would happen into the future and how many people would be signing up and, uh, you know, what the revenue numbers were looking like. And I think one of the things that we always, yeah, we just got very over-optimistic on in terms of some of the numbers um, and we hadn't really worked through the hard yards of well how do you do that how do you sell that how do you get it into the market how do you uh, how do you make sure that you've got enough people to deal with all the growth in numbers and then so sometimes we can just one basic reason is you get very over optimistic about our ideas and I'm not I am an optimistic person and I'm I'm a hopeful person, um, but we do need to sometimes approach our plans with a, a level of realism and uh, and also just the ability to actually open up our ideas and our planning to third parties and third parties who can who with their wisdom and their experience can talk back into those numbers and yeah so i think one of the things that sometimes we do is we oversimplify uh, we over we we just think that it'll be a very simple process. So one of the one of the quick downfalls is it just an oversimplistic view of growth and kind of new ideas, and the other one is that we uh, we don't actually consider if we do one thing, 
uh, it means that we're not doing something else. And so this this concept of opportunity cost, where we where we need to kind of consider, well, if I'm if I'm going to do something, I need to stop doing or reduce doing or delegate something else that I'm doing. Uh, I'm not very good at delegating, so I speak to myself here, but this concept of, you know, with these new plans and ideas, it does mean that my limited resource of time is now being steered in a new direction. And so so I think that's one of the things is we just think, well, I've got so much spare time and I can do all these other things, but we sometimes don't count the cost. Um, and I call it the opportunity cost. If I'm doing one thing that I can't do the other. And so I need to kind of uh, have that ability to actually, uh, and sometimes that doesn't pop up in the numbers. It's 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 not driven through Excel spreadsheets or uh, forecasts or however else you choose to do it. Um, but you do need to have a hard look and sort of say, well, if I do approach this venture, what are the other things that I need to give up? Yeah, that, that's so true, Jonathan. I've been in the new venture world for many years. And I must confess, I'm also guilty of those spreadsheets. And I've <laughs> done it again and again. You build a spreadsheet, you do a five-year forecast, you estimate that by year five, you'll have so many customers. And it's quite easy on a spreadsheet to say number of customers times number of purchases is your revenue and the, the cost you then make up. And uh, I've always wondered, I think it's natural in the venture capital world to be bullish. Uh, many entrepreneurs that are found are always very optimistic. They believe the numbers will pan out. And what's often inconvenient is to actually go out and test even 1% of your assumptions. And I've often found that that testing has to be with your your toughest customer. Um, it's easy to go to a friend and say, would you buy this? And yeah, most friends will say yes. But to actually test that assumption with a very, yeah, your customer from hell. And if you can <laughs> prove it with that customer, then the rest of your assumptions could have a chance. Totally. I mean, the one thing I, I often think through is, uh, I think the problem with sometimes with Excel spreadsheets is it it just assumes a linear path and so that you would consistently keep growing and we have these sort of growth forecasts where maybe in the first two years we don't grow so well and then after year three or four we have this massive ramp up. Um, but uh, I've, I've loved this concept of scenario planning where we tell ourselves different stories and we kind of paint the different stories that go into the future. And I love entrepreneurs and visionaries because they lead us into a space of the future and and without them the world wouldn't move forward um, and so you don't want to dampen the enthusiasm of entrepreneurs etc but at the same time this this incredible skill set of being able to scenario plan what that future looks like and then be able to build the systems and and build the resources around that is equally as important and so yeah i love this idea of scenario planning so that it, it allows for if different scenarios happen that you actually have the ability to deal with it and it's a less linear model it's more of a storytelling type of situation that was kind of the, the approach that I began to take is sort of sort of say, if I scenario plan, what would that story look like in three to four years? And so then it actually leads us into that place and we have a better view of what the future looks like and what the costs, et cetera, of that look like. So true. I think when you look at scenario planning, you're looking at 
other possibilities that you might not have thought of. And another way of doing that is to also surround yourself with people that think differently from you. Um, yes. We we find entrepreneurs are key in that they are often unreasonable, and those people <laughs> must exist. Uh, we we like having the likes of the Elon Musk's in the world because they dream of new worlds and new possibilities that seem like they can't happen. And yet after many years, uh, they, they, they make it. Uh, so you need those people. Uh, but you also need the, we often think of ourselves as boring accountants that say, hang on, uh, what if this doesn't happen? What if that risk pans out? Or uh, what if this new venture is actually not ready for the market? Yeah. No, no, agreed. Agreed. I've worked with some incredible visionaries in the in, uh, and I just love that they're able to bring the future to today. And they almost live in the space of saying, well, uh, you know, this is they, they almost live in the future, which is so wonderful because it does. It drags us all forward. Um, but agreed. Uh, unfortunately, they, they, it does also require some people to implement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. And Jonathan, we often think only of the financial cost of a project. Uh, what are the other costs that we often overlook when we plan? Yeah, so I mean, this goes for all things within our life. Um, be it that I think we all get very excited and we feel very honored when people want to give us new roles of leadership or they want us to start a new venture or they want us to step into new spaces. The reality is, and I, I mentioned in the previous question, is this concept of opportunity cost, where when I'm doing one thing, I may be potentially giving up on the other. And so we, if we just look at the Excel spreadsheet by itself, we'd sort of say, well, but it's going to generate X revenue. Um, but sometimes it comes at the cost of family, uh, where suddenly you, you may be working the extra two to three hours a day. It may come at cost of your existing client base or the way that your business functions uh, or it may come uh, in in other forms but it, it's really trying to it's kind of unlock and look at those other other costs and, and one of the best ways is just looking at your diary and your time um, and then also the, the one that that is not so easy to pin down is corporate culture um, and i've experienced that when we've sort of stepped into new ventures or new spaces uh, the, the the business sort of you know there's new people around and there's there's new clients on board and it can actually influence the culture that exists and and the big question is am i willing to let my culture change for this new venture or is the you know or vice versa or is the culture more important and my existing clients and so uh, uh what i've often thought about is is this an or type of decision or is this an and type of decision and what i mean there is if it's an or decision it's either i can do one thing or the other and so one thing may need to, to end and one thing needs to start or I, I do have that place where, and there's certain decisions where this can be an and decision. So I can continue to do my business and I can continue to bring on this new venture and there's enough capacity and I've, I've counted the cost. I've I've considered the time of my family on the finances of the existing business. Uh, I've considered what impact it may have on my staff and the numbers make sense and that may be an and. Um, yeah, so that really comes back to that opportunity cost, but it's be going beyond just the pure numbers of it and considering the impact 
impact on our personal health, our family health, um, and and our time. Yeah. Yeah, and you talked about the impact on on our health, and that's such a good example of a cost which you can create in the future without realizing it. You can get so busy in a new venture, uh, stop exercising, start eating mm. unhealthily. Um, mm. And that cost comes back to bite you. And it, it might not come in two years or five years, but mm. suddenly in 10 years time, you find that you've got a very costly health event, uh, which true. all started from those non-financial costs that um, you neglected. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those on the call, uh... Dr. Mandela and I run together in the mornings, and it was actually him that got me into running. Um, <laughs> we don't we don't run particularly quickly, but we do run consistently. And you are right. I mean, there was a season in my life where I was just not exercising and not getting going. Um, and for me now, I, I exercise either cycling or running uh, every second day, hopefully every day, most most weeks. Um, and I just find it is such a core of who I am now that even though it's an hour and a half potentially, uh, I feel that it's 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 so important that if I don't do it, I'm ineffective. And so it it is a, a matter of you know there are seasons in our life we get busy and 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 potentially we miss one or two. But it's when you're consistently missing weeks of exercise or consistently meeting missing weeks of being home in time to have dinner with the family or missing weeks of having weekends off to spend time as a family that you need to look back at your projects and your time and say well actually this this is now costing me much more than just the finances it's beginning to impact on my my family and personal life um and so i think those are important uh, bedrocks that you need to make sure remain in place and they do provide their own fulfillment um i know you've done the comrades, you've done the double century, so you're clearly not an underachiever in this regard. <laughs> <laughs> slowly, slowly, you know, it's not very quick. <laughs> and uh, moving back to the financial world, uh, counting the cost depends on accurate budgeting. What is a wise way to budget for a project, whether it's building a property or setting up a new department? Uh, I know we could probably have a whole podcast just on this, but what are the key points that you found so crucial in counting the cost when you've uh, set up something new? Yeah, I think I think one is, um, so one of the things is really to make sure that you actually do that. You have a financial model that you can build out into the future. If you're not Excel-driven, find the person in your team that is able to do that. And the thing that you really want to be staring at and spending a lot of time and thinking about is the assumptions that build that model. Uh, a model is only as good as the assumptions that are put into it. Um, so ultimately, it's 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 looking at, uh, you know, the new customer numbers. It's looking at the cost per customer. Customer. It's it's really digging deep into those numbers, and obviously you can sort of build a quick Excel spreadsheet, and it'll give you a very simplistic answer. Um, uh, but time needs to be allocated, and really thinking through those assumptions um, uh, as best as possible. And I do counter all of this with the other the other side to this sort of planning is where. Uh, some leaders need less data points to make a decision than other leaders. And so 
you know, there's 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 a lot to be said for guts and 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 instinct and uh, understanding people's industries where they could use a lot fewer data points and actually come to the similar or same answer that somebody who needs more data points. Um, and so uh, the the counter of this of this planning and making sure that it's all done is not to be caught in a space of analysis paralysis where you kind of overanalyze the numbers and you overthink the assumptions and sort of plan into year five and six. Sometimes we just need enough data points that we know that this thing could work um and that it's you know if we take it far enough forward it, it could be prosperous or, or fulfilling and so then we can start with that um what you don't want to be doing is obviously starting ventures that are going to fail straight away um but yeah so it's it's, it's so much so i do sort of balance the two of saying get get the, the best person on the team to help you build the model spends a lot of time going through the you know the actual assumptions that build the model um but at the same time don't spend too long analyzing uh to the point where you end up in uh, never making a decision and never get going on a project yeah and i think the key is getting to that point where there's enough wisdom that's gone in into the planning for some wisdom takes long to accumulate uh, but I often find that it's so useful to be able to go and speak to a guru in the industry. And you might find that 30 minutes with that person can be worth one week you trying to solve something by yourself. Agreed. And there's something to be said for telling your uh, idea to somebody else, because it helps you articulate what you're thinking, uh, you know, where you've we almost have the elevator pitch, uh, yes. the, the, the minute long presentation of what you plan to do. Um, and it's there's a lot to be said for giving that to a guru and they, they can very quickly tell you if it's, it's going to work or not. And Jonathan, what about the person listening to this podcast that is hearing this and they are realizing that they didn't follow the right planning principles? Uh, they are already in the middle of a project. Um, and they could end up with a half-built building or a white elephant. How does one pivot? The one unfortunate lesson that I've learned is sometimes it's better to fail quickly. Um, and and I mean that with the humblest of, of yeah, with humility in that sometimes we we try just trying to continue to make this thing work despite it actually not working. Um, and so sometimes a failure is not a bad thing. You know, where some, something has failed, uh, we learned huge lessons. There were potentially new relationships that were built um, and, and huge sort of new uh potential sort of learnings in terms of going into new directions um but i would one thing i would say to, to people is don't be shy or embarrassed to fail failing quickly is not a bad thing you'd rather fail within the first three to six months than sort of spend three to five years just trying to make this this thing work uh, where it's where it's salvageable where it's you know just the big thing there is getting the right people on the bus make sure that you are surrounded with uh, the right team 
to uh, to make sure that the thinking go into the future. Um, and sometimes that means us stepping out of positions that we think we're good at, but actually there may be people within our team or co-founders who are better at jobs and actually being able to hand those over to them. Don't be afraid to fail. It's it's not the end of the world. Uh, lessons were learned. But on the flip side, where it's salvageable and you actually could steer this thing in the right direction, uh, it potentially sometimes just needs the right team um, and also, unfortunately, making some of the tough decisions because often we can overcapitalize into projects uh, and getting too big a team on board up front and then needing to sort of shave it right down to make this thing work. Yeah, failing quickly can be the cheapest exit route. Totally. Uh, thanks for your wonderful input, Jonathan. Uh, and how can listeners contact you if they require any further professional advice uh, from yourself or your organization? Awesome. So we are based in South Africa in Cape Town. Uh, so the easiest is to just follow through on our website, gda.co.za. Uh, you'll see some of the team there and kind of some of the uh, activities that we were involved in. Wonderful. Um, yeah, so that's Jonathan Miller, available on www.gda.co.za. We will end the podcast with an extract from my book, Conquer Your Mountains, and I'm reading from week four, page 29. Sometimes we see God as a tough schoolmaster, just waiting for us to step out of line. We miss the father heart of God, the smile he has as we push through and learn how to crawl, walk, or run, despite our early stumbling. It could be a failed business, a failed job, a failed project, or a failed relationship. We judge ourselves and hold ourselves in bondage rather than break into the freedom of knowing that God is cheering us on. 